Welcome to What in the World, a project initiated by Hungry for Life International. Today's podcast is titled Corporate Culture in Nonprofits, and Jess will be interviewing Dave Blundell. So grab your headphones, sit back, relax, and listen as they talk about how important corporate culture is in nonprofits and how much time we should give to it. Okay, hello and welcome. You made it to another Monday and another podcast. So thanks for joining us for our Hunger for Life podcast called What in the World, where we talk about a myriad of different topics, all to do with running a globally focused nonprofit organization. So here today we have Mr. Dave Blundell and Dave with the original team of six people founded Hungry for Life about 17 years ago, right, Dave? Yep. 17 close. years 17, ago. Um, and more recently started Full Well, which is an arm of Hungry for Life. And we'll get we'll get him to explain a bit about Full Well a bit later after we tell you what today's topic is, which is corporate culture or just culture in the nonprofit organizations. I love this topic because I feel like there's just been a huge shift in how to lead organizations and businesses in the last decade and this topic has become super prevalent and in case you're wondering where this is heading we are going to talk about corporate culture in nonprofits versus businesses some pitfalls in culture leading leaders and other issues that are commonly faced today uh, so before we jump right in i want to welcome dave hi dave hey jess how are you doing today good thanks good it's been a while since we've been in the office together yeah. nice to see you in person <laughs> um so a bit about Dave's background. Dave has been in ministry for 30 years. It's a long time. That ages you. Yeah, it really does. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Young at heart. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's been in ministry for 30 years in different capacities. He has a MA in international nonprofit leadership and more recently has started his doctorate in ministry in leadership. And he didn't even want me to tell you guys that, but there it is. <laughs> There's Dave. So yeah. So thanks again for joining us, Dave. Um, I kind of want to jump right in sure. and ask you the first question, but I want to explain to our audience a bit about Fullwell because that will provide a bit of context for this discussion. So can you tell us a little bit about Fullwell? Yeah, you bet. Uh, full well is something that we started more officially last year, 2020. And where Full Well came from is a couple of years ago, the board and the senior staff of Hungry for Life started to really reflect on our previous 17 years of ministry. And we started to ask some pretty huge questions about our vision and our mission and, and, and how we were doing at accomplishing our vision, which is to see a world transformed. Uh, and we, we thought... It's been a fantastic 17 years, but we, we knew we needed to do some things differently if we were going to achieve that vision, if we were gonna to move towards that vision. And so we, we started to ask some questions on what are ways that we can speed up our vision of a world transformed? Uh, and we so we asked questions about how do we make Hungry for Life bigger? Uh, how, do we, how do we grow our impact? And, and through those conversations, it became pretty clear that one of the ways that we can have a bigger impact is not by making Hungry for Life a bigger charity, or a bigger organization, but if we can help other organizations have a bigger impact and rather multiply our impact rather than add to our impact by making our own, own charity bigger. And, and previous to that conversation, some organizations had been coming to us saying, could you help us to develop 
our organization and all these various ways. So people were kind of seeking us out to say how to ask us how we could help them in their organization. And so we thought maybe our one of our areas of strategic growth is to is to start an arm of the organization that would help other charities have a bigger impact, grow organizational development, coaching and consulting leaders of other organizations. Uh, and then another reason that we're doing it is because when the, the, the money that we charge to help charities here in Canada, we then use in Hungry for Life to do international leadership development. So to help leaders who can't afford education and and professional development and leadership development. So it acts like a social enterprise. We raise money here by coaching and consulting with leaders, use that internationally to help global leaders in their development. Mm -hmm. Thanks. That was a great explanation. Um, yeah. So recently uh, we did this, uh, we addressed our culture mm -hmm. as Hungry for Life staff. Um, obviously, there's a big difference between nonprofit culture and business culture. What do you think is like, how does that look different? What's the biggest difference between nonprofit and business? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are some differences, but I don't know that there should be a major difference between nonprofit culture and for-profit culture or organizational culture because people are people. The needs of people are the same, whether they work in a nonprofit or whether they work for a construction company or work in anywhere in the for-profit world. I'm not sure that there should be a difference. There's this idea that nonprofit culture is more collaborative. It's more cause-related. It's more, you know, people are... Uh, maybe slower nonprofits would be slower to make decisions and corporate cultures more decisive, more driving, more mm -hmm. more result oriented. And I think that those are unfortunate stereotypes and I understand where they came from. I just don't think that they should be really different at all. Mm, good point. Um, I would say that probably a lot of business minded people would say culture is quote unquote fluffy. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. And I think that does come from a mindset that that businesses are all about results. Mm -hmm. And results are stated usually in terms of the bottom line or whatever the business is trying to produce, like the results being money. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love has taken place in business corporate culture through a whole bunch of current writers and and speakers is is the results of profit shouldn't be the reason a business exists. That should be the fuel for the business mm. as to why the business exists, not the reason the business exists. Because I think whether your people work for a nonprofit or a business, that they, we all want to have an impact with our lives. We all want our lives to matter. We all want to help people. And, and, and so I think that this idea that for-profit's all about profit, not-for-profit's all about people, and mm -hmm. the people stuff is the soft skills or the pr right. fluffy skills or the mm -hmm. the... Yeah, the, the soft skills, which I don't think should be a term that we're using to talk about people because I think people skills are, are just as important to any organization as any of the hard technical skills. Right. And so I think that's where it comes from. But again, I don't think I don't think it should be. Um, in your OK, no, we answered that question. What do you think? What is one strength that nonprofits might have up against businesses and counter to that, what would be a pitfall? Yeah. Kind of related to what we were just talking about. I think one of the strengths of nonprofit is it's easy to, it's easy to point to the cause of why the nonprofit exists, that it's, that it's every nonprofit exists because it's trying to solve some problem in the world, whether it's SPCA is trying to solve the problem of, uh, you know, 
hardship to animals or whether it's the Ducks Unlimited that's that exists because of some problem that exists in the natural world. Every nonprofit mm-hmm. exists because someone's trying to fix something and be altruistic in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think for nonprofits, it's pretty easy to point to what that is, depending on the sure. the organization. Yeah. And and you can generally point to that as a reason why people are motivated in a nonprofit. Whereas in in business, in for profit, just like the word describes, it's yeah. almost like that's the reason the company exists. And again, I don't think that that's the I don't think that that should be the bottom line of what of what uh, for profits are all about. Uh, but in terms of pitfalls, I think that in nonprofits, some pitfalls can be a lack of clarity as to what results really are. How do you measure success in a nonprofit, especially if your your definition of success is to see some sort of qualitative change in in the world? It's pretty hard to point to results. Sure. And I think that an inattention to results is a common pitfall for nonprofits. Mm. Like results as as far as like the cause or results of the culture? No, the, the, the results of the cause of, of why the charity exists in the first place. Who, right. Whoever they're existing to benefit right. or whatever they exist for and inattention to knowing whether or not it's achieving what it was founded to achieve. Okay. Okay. Uh, sorry. Explain a little bit why you think that that could be a pitfall again, just for some clarity. Yeah. yeah again, going back to that idea that nonprofits are, are – all about some sort of a cause it's it's pretty hard to measure the how you're achieving the mission of that organization whereas in the for-profit world right. it's, it's all about numbers, numbers and money data data yeah, yeah really yeah. easy to measure stuff yeah how many items you're selling how many units you're selling how many houses you're building and how much money you're making whereas in a nonprofit, how do you know mm-hmm. if you're having the social impact or the spiritual impact is that your organization exists for it's harder to it's harder to quantify results or point to results. And I think that that leads to an inattention to whether or not the charity is successful. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, I'm going to read a quote and then I want to talk about yep. it. So the nonprofit sector tends to be process oriented and consensus driven, both of which can slow decision making. This can be frustrating for someone who is used to more well-defined structure. In the corporate world, the pyramid-like organization can quicken decision making and implementation. So... Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, there's kind of been a huge shift in how how to lead. The old school mentality being that of more authoritative. Um, do you feel like this this more process oriented and consensus driven way works? Like, why are we leaning more towards that way for for culture in in an organization? And it just seems as if I'll just play the devil's advocate for a second. Yep. It just seems as if it could inhibit quicker decision making and potentially really hinder results. Yeah. And that, again, is not something that's unique to for-profit or not-for-profit. Yeah. I should stop segregating them. (laughs) No, that's okay. That's okay. Because I think that that's how a lot of people think that nonprofits are led different than for-profit organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. But that idea, that hierarchical idea of of the fact that that there are doers and then there's thinkers in an organization, Mm -hmm. like the thinkers are are the management and the doers are the frontline people. Uh, that's kind of an industrial age yeah. perspective on how organizations are led. You've got mm-hmm. the people at the top who are there to think, who are there to create, who are there to, um, yeah, determine how things are done. And then you've got the people who are there to actually do it. And mm-hmm. and that division between thinkers and doers or deciders and doers is no longer appropriate. No one just wants to be a doer. 
Sure. They want to have autonomy and agency over what it is they're doing and want to have input as to how those things are done. And so the, the breakdown between doer and, and decider is really broken down in our culture. And now the doers also want to be the deciders. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to sometimes slower decisions being made or time that you're spending discussing things that maybe as a, as a leader, you already know the way you want it to be done. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of studies are finding out is that when you include the doers in the deciding, in the process of whatever the organization's all about, that you often have better results as a, as a result of including them. Mm. Because, yeah. And do you think the shift comes from a generational thing? Or like, why is it happening now? Is it because the millennials are getting into leadership? Is it? Do you think it's a generational thing versus just people knowing differently, knowing better or worse. I don't know. I don't know if it's better or worse yet, but yeah. 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 I first think, I think for sure it's generational that the values of cultures have changed where now mm-hmm. Gen X and millennials want very much a say in what affects them. And, um, they're so entitled, <laughs> but they're right. Like, it, what, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think not just the right in that we've got to think about leadership just from a humanistic perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that if we, if we really think through that, if we include a wider range of people in the process of determining how things are done, I think we would find that that the results of the business or organization end up being better as a result of it. Because rather than looking mm-hmm. at a problem from one perspective, you're looking at a problem from multiple perspectives. And always the the wisdom of the of the group, the the the, the yeah the the wisdom and knowledge of a group is much more significant than the wisdom or knowledge of one person who happens to be the decider in the organization. Sure. So, okay, fill in the blank. Yeah. So what you just described would be creating a culture of blank. (sighs) Collaboration. Okay. And that's the new way versus authoritative and the the doers versus the deciders. Deciders, yeah. Yeah, I think collaboration is a part of changing the the doers and deciders thing. Yeah. And and obviously there's a time in an organizational life where you want to stop and think about what's going on and and reflect and about what whatever it is needs to be thought about. Uh and and then there's times where you need to be doing and mm-hmm. actually executing and making stuff happen. And and you can't do reflecting and doing all the time. Uh, I think uh an effective leader takes time for the doing and making sure the doing happens, but then with the doers, taking time to pause and reflect about how things are done to make sure that you're you're having the best kind of result and input as possible. Yeah, I was actually, to that point, I was listening to a podcast yesterday in preparation for today mm-hmm. <laughs> um, about corporate culture, and, and there was a lady who was talking, she was like the HR manager of Southwest Airlines, mm-hmm. which I think is no longer. Um, I believe so. No, it's, it's still going. Okay. That's embarrassing. Unless that happened really recently. <laughs> Anyways, she she had been there for a very long time and um, they like they are kind of known for their culture. Yeah, um, they are. Yeah. And she said that what they did with their leaders is like every leader in within the company had an assigned city. So, mm. and they would be then there on the ground with their people uh, checking guests in, doing all sorts of things that the doers would do, but they are the leaders. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of talking exactly about what you're talking about. That's like 
um, involving the leadership, like the deciders in the doing and vice versa. And yeah, classic example of a really well-known, uh, well-known for their corporate culture, that that's what they do. Yeah, and in Canada, we see a really stark difference between the two cultures of our two major airlines, like mm. WestJet, right. which was actually, when WestJet started, the, the leaders and the founders went to learn from Southwest Airlines oh. and came to yeah. Canada to essentially start an airline that would have that same kind of culture yeah. as Southwest. Mm-hmm. And then there's our mainstay airline, and for those of us who have flown for many years, you certainly can tell the difference between flying with yes. Air Canada and flying with WestJet. Oh, 100%. And, and I think that's an example of what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't think that this not this idea of collaborative, inclusive culture should just be for nonprofits. Because, mm-hmm. again, if you look at very much uh, the, the business of airlines, which experience, which guest experience would you want to have mm-hmm. WestJet or Air Canada. Totally. Yeah. So better result. Absolutely. And not just for business, not just for your bottom line, but yeah. your ton- your turnover rate. Exactly. Like, yeah. like WestJet does not have a, or last I checked, they did not have a high turnover rate. And, and that can be for any organization or business. If you invest in your employees, they're going to want to stay. Yes. Also, they're going to be a lot happier treating your guests a lot better. I mean, everyone has their version of guests. Yeah. But yeah. And that's really significant for nonprofits because unless the staff, a lot of times nonprofit employees are paid less Mm -hmm. than the equivalent would be in the for-profit world. Right. And how much more important is it if you're, if if, if people are sacrificing to work for the organization, that they have a high degree of ownership, involvement, passion for the job, sense of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it is, I think, even more important in nonprofit world because of that factor. Yeah. I, re- I recently read an article and it said, like, for our generation, uh, I'm a millennial. I'll yeah, just say are. that. Um, <laughs> so when I say our generation, that's what I'm talking about. Um, like the top three things that people are looking for in employment are flexibility, compensation and culture. Right. And so it's like for nonprofits, you're right. Like they can't always offer the compensation part. So they better amp it up in the culture department. Totally. So, um, okay. I had a question. I'm backtracking a little bit okay. to the whole deciders and doers. Yep. Okay, so do you believe everyone is a leader? Yeah, I define leadership as influence. Not as a position or a job or a title, mm-hmm. but as influence. Mm-hmm. And if you if you define leadership as influence, then I think everybody has the potential to be a leader because whether you're a parent who are influencing your kids and leading your family, whether you're influencing it in your community with your neighbors or at work or anywhere else in in our society i think that's how i define leadership so yes if you if you can have an influence i believe that you're a leader yeah oh i feel like a lot of people like you you explained it well but i feel like a lot of people if they were if you were to ask them that question they would say no why do you think that is um Giftedness, like natural giftedness. Some people are just naturally more outspoken. They can naturally gather a crowd and lead people. And that's what people define as as a leader. And I think for those who have a harder time, I don't know. Like, do you think you can you can equip them with leadership abilities or you're ta- like, OK, let's just segue this into a yeah. different question about um, feeding into your employees strengths and, and addressing their weaknesses. So, like, why is it? I'm kind of dodging your question, um, but <laughs> well, we can kind of get to it roundabout. Yeah. But why is it worth spending time addressing 
organizational, like the employee's strengths and weaknesses and how, and how to channel them versus spending time on the cause and results and productivity. And I think in a roundabout way, we will answer your question to me. Yeah, I think we will because it's, it's, hugely, it's hugely related. Because what you were saying earlier about leadership is a lot of people have it in their mind that leadership are related to traits. Mm-hmm. Like if I have these traits. Naturally born traits. Right. Yeah. Which is the oldest theory of leadership there is. Mm. It's called the great person theory that, oh, I haven't that you're that. a leader if you have these stereotypical oh, traits. Okay. And so when you say to people, are you a leader? They typically tend to think of those traits. Sure. Or do I have a position or a job that makes me manage other people? Yeah. And, and, but yet if you're understanding leadership as, as influence, then we have the ability to develop all kinds of people to be better influencers through understanding what their strengths are, what right. their weaknesses are, how to use those strengths. And and so that's that's why helping your team or, or people understand how they're gifted and how they can best use their gifts in an organization is that that really is leadership development. Mm. Regardless everyone of everyone has strengths. Yep. It's just finding them and channeling them. Yep. And everybody everybody wants to use those strengths mm-hmm. to influence. Yeah. So the right seat on the bus, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and that's that's why I think we need to help people identify what those strengths and their weaknesses are. Yeah, yeah. So us as an organization, we recently went through something called the SDI. There's lots of different tools you can use. There's the Myers Briggs. There's SDI. There's what else? There's oh yeah, there's Berkman. Right. Yeah. There's there's DISC. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all those there's all those different ones. Um, we did one called SDI, basically. Um, there's so much to it, but basically you get a color and there's three colors. Mm-hmm. There's red, which is uh, results driven. Um, then there's green, which is process driven. And then there's blue, which is people driven. Mm-hmm. That was so interesting to go through and to get to know our whole staff. Mm-hmm. And then like you get this whole write up about your your color and how to address other colors, what will work and what like how to deal with conflict in that. Um, unhealthy conflict versus healthy conflict, mm-hmm. accountability, all those good things. And so that was like, I don't know, I think every business should do do that because it's mm-hmm. just like, so sometimes if I go into a meeting with a personality that I know is not like myself, I'll quickly flip through my little chart yeah. that yeah. we got and I'll say, okay, that person's blue green. Okay, approach them calmly. Uh, don't do this. <laughs> like, cause I'm, I'm red. I'm like, why, why was this deadline not met? Yeah. Like, let's go and so like such handy tools to have Mm -hmm. and makes people feel a lot safer cool when they approach a a fellow staff member and like creating a safe workplace is gonna provide like set the stage for massive results because people are willing to take risks they're willing to um, like they're willing to risk failure because they know they're not going to get chastised for it so um i wanted to point that out um okay You've done the SDI with a few different organizations, yeah. right? So out of results, process, and people, have you come, this probably not, but like, have you come to find like a sweet spot of like how many people should be in, in each organization supporting each other? Yeah, I think the general principle is you want as many people associated with the organization that just has a balance of concern for performance or results mm-hmm. or concern for people and a concern for process. You you want to have all of those yeah. represented in an organization. Uh, there, as you know, as we said earlier, 
our work with other organizations is mostly in the nonprofit ministry world. And I find that a whole lot of those organizations have a whole lot of blue people. So people concerned, right. motivated by people. Naturally. Na- yeah. yeah, naturally, because they're in the people-oriented yeah. industry, if you'd put it in that term. So, yeah, in, in the nonprofit world, we've got lots of blue in lots of organizations. But those organizations need the, the reds who will push for pro- push for performance, push for results. They need the green people who are great at creating processes and systems and, and details. Mm-hmm. And so the sweet spot is a balance of, of all of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the better sweet spot is people who appreciate all of the people and what they're motivated by and what right. they're good at. That's a sweeter spot right. than the others. Like rec- like me recognizing that I need green people in my life. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I will fail without green people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to skip one question there. Um, actually, no. So why would you say no no okay how do you nurture leaders in your organization and why is it important uh, we already answered that why do you not just hire natural born leaders for director positions and that kind of thing is that still going back to the more industrial way of thinking and mm-hmm. yep it's it's first of all it's defining leadership as just producing results just goals and leadership has just as much to do with the actual people skills as it does to do with the technical skills of producing results mm-hmm. and so if you hired a whole bunch of the, the typical type A trait-driven leaders, you're you're not going to get that balance of concern for people and concern for process. You're just not you're just not going to achieve your results. I mean, as some, somebody like you, I'm I'm red. I'm highly driven by results, but unless I have green and blue people, nothing gets done in our 100%. organization. One hundred percent. Yeah, and so I run like a hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be easy for me to just look like people look for leaders who are like me. And then mm-hmm. we'll have a whole bunch of people trying to achieve results and no one actually helping them to get there. Right. And and so I think that that's the most significant reason why you need to develop influencers in your organization. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Um, we are starting to run to the end of our time, which is sad because I feel like we could talk a long time about this. Yeah. Um, but I want our audience to get a few practical takeaways. So what would be like a universal tip yeah. about creating a positive corporate culture. You said it already. Oh, what was it? It was safety. Hmm. Uh, today it's called psychological safety. Some okay. people call it trust. Some people call it, you know, collaboration. Uh, right now they're kind of the, 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 the buzzword is psychological safety. And I think it's hmm. a great word. It can be overused, but it's that it's the idea that you exactly communicated already that unless people come to work feeling like they're safe from interpersonal fear, right. that they're, that they can contribute their ideas without without being made to feel bad about their ideas that they could fail and it's not going to be held against them mm-hmm. then you're not you're not going to have you're not going to be able to build any of the other great parts of what a culture of an organization needs to be that's the foundational one thing mm. that if that's not there you've got nothing else you can build nothing else that's the that's the foundation and so i think for leaders to determine the degree to which the people in an organization feel psychological safety is the one most important takeaway that people come away with. That's a great one. I'm glad I said it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You totally did. (laughs) No, I didn't mean to. Um, So what about for, for individuals? So taking the psychological safety and um, whoever's listening to this today, who's on their way to work or whatever, give them a, a tip for how to practically implement psychological safety for their for their colleagues like how can i go back 
upstairs to to my office and create an environment of psychological safety? That's a fantastic question. I think the the thing to think about to enable any one individual to practice psychological safety is is based on the idea that we tend to evaluate other people by their behaviors, but we evaluate ourselves by our intentions. Like we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Right. Because we know what it is we're trying to do. We know what it is we're motivated by. Mm -hmm. But with other people, we tend to see a behavior and then judge them as to why they're behaving in that way. Mm -hmm. And and typically we use ourselves as the filter, the judge. Everybody should be like me if they're normal. Right. And I think to to for any individual to practice psychological safety, it's it's to do the work of finding out why that person is acting the way that they are and and withholding judgment as to why you think they are based on you and, and why you would do that. Mm. And so uh, I think that's the one thing to keep in mind that any individual can can implement to help people around them feel like that they're safe yeah. to bring their full selves to work. Sure. And on that note, your wife sent me a uh, Brene Brown clip. She's <laughs> she <did. laughs> love Brene. Yeah. Um, about as, uh, treating people as if they are doing the best they can. Yes. And one of my favorites. Yeah. And so I brought that one up with a couple friends and family members, and we had some really good discussions and mm-hmm. sometimes heated arguments because, like, like at first I I, I know we're supposed to be wrapping this up, but um, like no. Not everybody is doing the best they can do. Mm-hmm. Some people are doing garbage work. <laughs> okay, but if you treat them as if they are do- they are truly doing the best they can, you will have so much grace for them. You don't know their circumstance. You don't mm-hmm. know the factors of their day that played into how they are acting today. Absolutely. And so I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like creating that safety. Um, whether or not you believe that statement, just treat people as if they are. Yeah, that's that's the best place you can start. Yeah. And because again, we, we tend to compare people to how we would do something mm-hmm. and then give them the label of they're not doing their best. Yeah. And uh, there's there, you will only gain by treating everybody around you as if they are, regardless yeah. of what you think. Totally. And we all want to be treated that way too. So oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great discussion. Mm-hmm. Wish we could continue. You're doing a great um, job with these podcasts. Oh, well, thanks. I love listening to them when I'm <laughs> running and running, hiking. And oh. This has been fantastic. I hope fantastic. people can uh, overlook all my my blunders here. But. No, it's been fantastic. Thank you for all your hard work in these. <laughs> well, thanks for sitting down and chatting about this. Um, this wraps up the discussion about culture and nonprofits. I hope you guys learned a, a thing or two. Um, yeah, it's becoming definitely more and more of an area of focus for organizations and as, as it should be, Pe- people need that. So uh, a little bit about, about full well, yep. um, Dave can help you with your corporate culture issues. <laughs> That's my plug. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Yeah, the best thing to do would be to go to fullwell.ca to mm-hmm. take a look at what we help, how we help organizations. And yeah. then there's a free nonprofit assessment that you could take at the website, or you could just email at info at fullwell.ca. Okay. And we could have a chat about your nonprofit. Info at fullwell.ca. Perfect. So if you're sitting there thinking, how can I improve corporate culture for my employees? Or what can my organization offer in the culture department that gives gives us an edge? This is something you want definitely want to follow up with Dave about. Um, it's worth the investment. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, can't say enough about it. So 
info at fullwell.ca. Thank you for listening to another episode, and that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to What in the World, where we seek to educate and inspire. Here at Hungry for Life, we are passionate about your group having a global impact and eradicating needless suffering. For more information, head over to our website at hungryforlife.org. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and wherever you may listen to podcasts. Tune in every other week for another conversation about what is happening at Hungry for Life.